0: We're continuing in a a sermon series over the past, well, this is our fourth installment, fourth episode, and uh, we call it, What Would Jesus Undo? What would Jesus undo? And uh, if you're taking notes, or you usually take notes, you'll notice on the we didn't have we didn't have the opportunity to get the notes into the bulletin today. So, um, but you can always go to nlc.today, go to sermons, and you can there's actually online you can fill in your notes and have them emailed to you, or um, follow along that way. So um, if you choose to do that, but. Um, so yeah, so WWJU, what would Jesus undo? It's a spinoff of this whole WWJD craze that happened in the 90s, where if you were a born again Christian or you knew a born again Christian, they had or were wearing a WWJD bracelet. And it was all about asking the question. As you went about your day and, and had, you know, idiot drivers in front of you, you look down and you'd be like, what would Jesus do in this situation? And uh, that, that, was the, that was the question. And hopefully we all came to the same answer. Um, probably not. Um. Anyway, we've, we've been asking, that. I think what even is a more intriguing question, which is what would Jesus undo? What are the things that grieve the heart of God? And each week we've been asking that um, because what I've found in my own walk with Christ is that um, I, I want to do things. Like I'm all about doing things, achieving things, getting things done, moving, accomplishing. And Jesus is really much more focused on undoing things in me and i'm more focused on doing things he's more focused on undoing the wrong thinking wrong mindsets um, lies that i believe about him and about who i am in him um, that, that's what he seems to be about before i actually start launching out and doing things and so we've been asking this question and and we found that it's actually very very clear what jesus would undo in the hearts of his followers what he would undo in in, in, in his church um, it's not mysterious it's not left up to guess um, Week one, we said that he would undo spiritual meh, which means just spiritual meh. How you doing? Meh. Indifference, apathy towards, towards the things of God. Week two, we said that he would undo spiritual pride. Uh, if you haven't listened to that one, you should because it beat me half to death just to prepare for it. Um, spiritual pride, week three, we said that he would undo the mask that we wear. And so it brought in some, a, a mask and we were talking about hypocrisy. Um, in our life and how we tend to wear masks to cover up uh, what's really going on on the inside. And so today we're going to look at two different scriptures. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd love you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And then you can also put a marker in uh, Matthew 21. So Revelation chapter 3 and Matthew 21, we're going to start out in Revelation chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Um, I promise there's a point to it, but... Raise your hand if there's anyone in your family that sleepwalks. Anyone in your family that, that is a known sleepwalker? Anybody? We got a few over here. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are like, don't want to admit it or something. Are you the sleepwalker? You're the sleepwalker, aren't you? Yeah, you are you the sleepwalker? Thank you for standing up for that, sir. Yes, absolutely. Um, here's the thing. I have never sleepwalked. Slept walked? Slept walk? I, I don't know. I don't sleepwalk. And so... Um, but but one of my kids does, and I don't want to tell you which one it is, um, but uh, Katie and I get a kick out of it. Like, we love when they sleepwalk because it's, well, so we love it for different reasons. So my wife loves when, when this kid sleepwalks because she gets to snuggle them when they're unknowing, right? Because as your kids, <laughs> so as your kids get older, you know what I mean? They don't want to snuggle with you because it's not cool anymore and it's weird maybe because they're like you know, 30 and you're like, come snuggle me. You know, it's just like, you know, so like she loves it because she's like, it's their sleepwalking, She's like, come here, come here, like snuggling. It's probably some sort of abuse. But anyway, um, I'm sure it's on the, on the DSM. Anyway, um, I, I love it because I get to mess with them while they're sleeping. That's, I, I just, I have fun with them. And so this is the way it works. If you ever have a sleepwalker in your house, um, they, they're in bed and and usually, you know, Katie and I are up, we're talking, or we're watching a show or something like that. And all of a sudden, like, the door opens to the bedroom, and, and this child walks out, and they're just kind of like, mm. there's a lot of guttural noises, rubbing of eyes. And I know as soon as I see them that they're sleepwalking, like, it's like a gift. And so, um, and I'll be like, I'll be like, Katie, 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 check it out, check it out. And before she can be like, ah, you know, like, Come, 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 snuggle. Like, before she can start that, I start asking questions. And so I'll be like, hey, what's going on? Doing good? I said, uh, do you see that, fly, that spotted unicorn flying through the ocean today? Yeah. They're just like, they're completely out of it. I'll be like, uh, you hungry? You want something to eat? You want me to fix you a pile of dirt? You want a pile of dirt to eat? I love it because I won't tell you some of the conversations we've had. They are hilarious because they're sleeping, and so they're like in their own dream state entertaining my ridiculous questions. (laughs) And I, like, I'm sick, I know, I'm messed up, but I love it, I love it, I love it, and then I'm like, all right, you can have them now, Katie, and she's like, "Ah!" right, and she pulls them in. Um, So, so here's the thing. Um, I I know I'm strange, but apparently I was looking things up about sleepwalking. Uh, You can do all kinds of things while you're sleeping. Um, You can sleep talk, which a lot of you do. Um, talk in your sleep. You sleep walk. Sleep eating. People sleep eat. You know, you you wake up and you, you you know the midnight snack, but you didn't know. And so you go in, you eat something out of the fridge, and, and they're sleep eating. And then they're sleep. Apparently, there's been reports of sleep driving. Yeah, yeah, that's a little scary. It's a little scary. Like sleep driving. Like actually getting in a car and driving around someplace in the middle of the night while you're sleeping. Um, Anyway, that's, that's a little weird. And there's something that is called sleep crime. <laughs> People committing crimes in their sleep. I, I, I love that. It's like, well, I didn't do it, officer. I was asleep. I must have been sleep criming again. Right? Like I, I'm not responsible for this. And some of you are in here thinking, that's a thing? Brilliant. Brilliant! <laughs> right, you're just excited because now you got you got some, something that you can say because you're you're not crazy or at least it's not proven, so you can just say you were sleeping. Um, my point is is that you can actually do a whole bunch of things, go about your day, and um, and be asleep during them. And some of you are like, well, I don't sleep talk or sleep crime or sleep whatever. But, but here's the thing. A lot of us have experienced this where you're driving and so you have a commute that you take every day. You leave your house, get in your car, turn on your car. And then the next thing you remember, you're driving into the parking lot of your place of employment. And you're like, I just lost time. Like I have no recollection of the past 20 minutes of driving. It's a little scary, isn't it? You're like, I literally don't even remember this. So with that in our minds... I want you to please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, and uh, we're going to be reading Revelation chapter 3, and uh, I promise there's a point to all of this. Revelation chapter 3, this is a, uh, a letter that Jesus wrote through the Apostle John to the church of Sardis. Um, it was one of the seven letters, and it says this, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord Jesus, I I thank you for the reading of your word. God, I ask that that, that your word would stand alone. God, I pray that even though this letter was written to a church, you know, a couple thousand years ago in Sardis, to a place we've never been to and didn't even know existed, Lord, I pray that we would hear the echo of your Spirit To us, because the last verse of it says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Lord, whatever applies to us, I pray, Lord, that we would hear and heed your voice in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give me seated. So, what would Jesus undo? What would Jesus undo? Today, I would like to propose to you that Jesus would undo going to church. It's a little awkward right now it may seem a little shocking a little unnerving especially coming from a pastor like this is kind of like my livelihood i'm like don't go to church uh but we're all here you're at church you know and it's cold out so you're, th- you're welcome jesus you know like so let me explain what, what we're talking about here this question gets asked a lot which is this do you go to church and in new England. Um, More times than not, the answer is, "Mm, no. But if the answer is yes, then the the follow-up question is, well, what church do you go to? And the answer is very different depending on what church you go to. People are like, well, I go to the Rock Church. I go to East Point Church. I go to the Anchor Baptist Church. I go to the Catholic Church. I go to New Life Church, whatever. I go to church. And sometimes, even maybe for this morning, you don't want to admit this, but like you're laying in bed, and you're like, ah, it's so cold outside, and you look over at the person next to you, and you say are we going to church this morning? You make that decision, right? You know, don't act like you're all that holy, right? You're like, are we going to church? Yeah, 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 absolutely. We're going to church. Yes, we're going to church. And um, and it sounds a whole lot like, well, are we going to the grocery store today? Yeah, yeah, we got to go to the grocery store. Can we go to Hannaford? I want to go to Market Basket. Oh, Market Basket's cheaper. Oh, I don't know, but I don't are we gonna are we gonna go to the mall yeah let's go to the mall we're gonna go to the football game yeah let's go to the football game but i'm rooting for the patriots not the rams like so so we're gonna go to church yeah i'm gonna church let's go to church and the thing that has been rolling around in me all week is this question and this is for me i don't know what what that is for you but it is this question when did i start equating following jesus with going to church when did I start this, like, kind of like, because I'll admit it, like, there are times and seasons of my life where it's like, you know, following Jesus equals going to church. But what I know to be true and what you know to be true is this that people can go to church and not be following Jesus, right? You can. You can go to church. You can go to church every week. You can get an attendance star, you know, that you have perfect attendance at church and still not be following Jesus. And for some of you, you're like, yes, I know people like this. Yeah, absolutely. Or I do this. And so I want you to listen to me carefully because I don't want your emails. So um, I have a deep love and appreciation for the local church. I wouldn't be giving my life to it if it wasn't significant and important to me. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I believe that the local church, you and I and Us, other churches around in this area, right, have not been entrusted with the message of Jesus Christ and we have been commissioned to take that light to a dark world. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. But, but Jesus never said, if you love me, go to church. Sometimes I wish he did, right? I'd be like, well, I told you to go to church, right? But here's the thing, he never said that. What he does say is if you love me, follow me. If you love me, he says this to to Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, take care of my sheep. If you love me, do what I've told you to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, going to church is not the end. It's a means to the end. And when we start to think like, oh, if going to church is following Jesus, Hopefully those two things are combined, right? We go to church as we follow Jesus, but those two things are not synonymous. So, Pastor Justin, are you telling me that I should stop going to church? This is what I'm saying. I am saying this. Stop going to church and start being the church. Those are two different things and two very similar things. Stop simply going to church and start being the church, and this is, what, this is what Jesus essentially is saying to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter three verse one. He says, "I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead It's, it's like this picture of that Jesus kind of paints for us of someone sleepwalking. You have the reputation of being alive, like you have a reputation of, of being awake and with it, but like uh, you're not all there. You're dead. Or kind of like the, the, the whole walking dead craze, right? This whole idea of your reputation of being alive, but, but you're going through the motions. You're, you're going to church. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. This is what he's saying to this church. I don't know. Have you ever been there? Like, like, have you ever been to this, in, the, in a place where you're not like, you're not like necessarily openly sinning, but you're also, in a, like you're doing good things, you're, you're giving, you're, you're serving, you're going to church regularly, but it's like you're sleepwalking. You ever been there? I've been there. Where you just kind of like, you're going through the motions, you're doing all these things, and, but, but yet your heart is far from it, like, but, but you're still going through it, and you're like, well darn it, we've made the decision that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, even when I don't feel like going. Right? We get to this place we're like, we, 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 we just kind of start going through the motions and walking and forgetting that we're supposed to be the church, not just go to church. That's kind of what he's saying to this church in Sardis. Your first point is this, that church is not where you go, it's who you are. Church is not where you go, it's who you are. And I was reading, um, a friend had posted this quote by, by Francis Chan from Crazy Love, his book, Crazy Love, and this is what it says. Have you ever wondered if we're missing it? It's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, creator of nitrogen and pine needles, galaxies and E minor, loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our typical response? We go to church, sing songs, and try not to cuss. Have you ever been in that place where you're like, "Man, I, I just feel like there's got to be more to this walk than what I'm currently knowing it to be like"? And this is something that Jesus was was so passionate about. I mean, we've been kind of hitting on this in s- certain ways over the past three weeks about the things that He would undo. Essentially, in verse 2, Revelation chapter 3, I mean, he pretty much is yelling at the church in Sardis. I mean, it would be like if he was texting in all caps. Like, he's literally, he, he says in verse 2, he says, Wake up! Exclamation point. Wake up! Almost kind of like when my, my kid's sleepwalking, and I'm like, wake up! You, you, you're kind of acting, you're going through the motions, but like, you're not really there, you're not really with me right now. Like, like, like wake, wake up. And then he continues and he says strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And I want to just talk about that that sentence really quick. He says this strengthen what remains and is about to die which is kind of an odd thing. It's a very odd sentence to me. because He doesn't say a lot but he has a whole lot to say into the church of Sardis and he says strengthen what remains and is about to die. It comes out of really their their past Twice in Sardis' history, they had been captured by enemies, which is, weird to, which is weird to think because if you know anything about the, the city of Sardis, it was built on a plateau, virtually inaccessible it was actually, it had cliffs all the way around the city, and it was about 1,500 feet above the main roads. So it was very difficult to capture this city. Why? Because you're on a plateau, and you got cliffs all around you. So essentially, you, you could see them coming from miles away and prepare and be ready to, to go to war, you know, if your enemies are coming. So how did they get taken? They'd fallen asleep. They're, they're, they'd gotten comfortable. They had kind of like their, their sentries, the the guards had failed to do their jobs. They were not alert. They were not watching for enemies because they, well, they had just been living in such blessing and safety for so long. And I was, you know, if you, if you looked at the church of Sardis, it probably would have been, well, they weren't, they weren't being persecuted because we can see that from this, from, even from Revelation chapter three. They didn't have any heretical teachers. They were hashtag blessed. I mean, like going through the motions and living this life. And I think that the unsaved people in Sardis would have looked at the church of Sardis and thought, those are, those are some respectable people. Those are a good group of people, but they're not dangerous or contagious. They're just kind of white noise. You know, they go into the one, one and a half hours on a Sunday morning, they go do their thing, but it didn't actually like spill out into anything else. And so they're not dangerous and they're not contagious. So, let, you know, they do their thing. And this question's been rolling around in me is this, that when Christians get too comfortable in living in blessing, the enemy always finds a way in. When we, get, when we get to the place of contentedness and I've got really everything kind of taken care of and everything's good and I've got no worries, I'm not being persecuted, the enemy always finds a way in. And this is what, Jesus is reminding this church in Sardis about, hey, guys, don't forget how you've been captured twice and why you were captured. And then he says, I found found that your deeds are unfinished in the sight of my God. So I literally looked up the word unfinished because I'm like, what does that even mean to have an unfinished deed? I mean, I've got a lot of unfinished deeds in my house, right? Like things that I've started and haven't finished. But like, what does that mean? Like if I do a good deed, it's finished. Like I, it's not half finished. I don't, I don't have a half finished deed. That word means not full. Unfinished, not full. And the context is, is that Jesus wants them to be filled. Not just filled like, oh yeah, we're, we're pretty good. We're doing good. We're, we're pretty full, right? He's like, I, the only way I measure fullness is that you are completely full. And if I had a glass right here and I started filling it up with water, how do I know once that glass is completely full? It overflows. It's the only way you know when it's completely full. Until then, you're adding water, drops of water, you see that meniscus start, and you're like, man, it's—I mean, that's pretty full. Is that full? You don't know if you're completely full until you spill over. Why? Because fullness is not measured in what we can contain. Fullness is measured on what overflows. And what he's essentially telling them is like, hey, you, you've got this measure of fullness in you, but your fullness is not finished. It's unfinished. You're not full. You're thinking, hey, everything's good. You've got this, like, this semblance of life, and yet you're dead. Why? Because he only measures fullness and life by what overflows out of us. And if we kind of go in and look at, I mean, there's nothing wrong with these people. Like, they they listen to thousands of sermons. They've been going to church, doing all of the right things. They've been serving and giving and all of these things. And he's like, look, I want you to be overflowing. Stop going to church and start being the church. So I looked up the the, the word, the, the Greek word church in the uh in the Bible, it has a surprising definition. And for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you know, you've probably heard sermons where they, they talk about this word, ekklesia, the Greek word for church. And this is the definition of it. It means the called out people. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that, called out ones. Yep, I've heard that before. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that. But here's the thing. If you really start thinking about that, that is a surprising definition, to me at least. Because the way that I use the word church in America, I would think that the definition would be this, a building used for worship, church, uh, a place where people of faith gather. And what I'm surprised about is that the actual definition has little to do with the place and everything to do with the people. That is, when, when we talk about the church, the ecclesia, he's not talking about a building, he's talking about a people, the called out ones that's why i say stop simply going to church and be the church and when we stop short and thinking that church attendance is the church we miss the point of the whole thing we miss the actual definition of what it means to be the church that we are the church we are the called out ones you are the called out ones we are called to be light in the darkness but here's the reality that god never jesus never says i have called you so that you will be the light of the church he says, no, I've called you to be the light of the world. To be full and to spill out for others. Listen to what Paul and Silas were accused of in Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 6. These two guys, Paul and Silas, you've probably heard of them. They're pretty much rock stars in the book of Acts. Um, but when they, it says, when they did not find them, they were looking for them. Um, They dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city. These are the friends of Paul and Silas. And they were crying out. People were accusing them. This is what they accused them of. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Isn't that amazing? Listen, you will never turn the world upside down by going to church. You will turn the world upside down by being the church. That's what they're accused of. they They were turning the world upside down. They were being the church. What does that mean? It means that both inside and outside of a building, they were the church. It means on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half, as well as Thursday afternoons, they were the church. That is what turned the world upside down. That's what they were accused of. Second point is this, that church is not an event you attend it's a family you belong to. The church is not an event you attend. It's a, it's a family you belong to. You know, uh, if it's an event you attend, then, then you will warm the seat. <laughs> You'll clap for the entertainment, you know. If it's not good, you're like, hmm, maybe this, maybe golf clap, I don't know. You'll pay for the ticket and miss the point. If church is an event you attend, then it's just a place that you go to once a week or whatever that looks like. But if church is a family you belong to, then saying things like, are you going to church today? Seems so silly. What do you mean? Of course I'm going to church. It's like a family reunion. Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm going to church. Like, because it's not an event I attend. It's a a family I belong to. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And this is the message paraphrase. I love how Eugene Peterson writes it. He says this. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. And he's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. So God, I love this, God is building a home. He's building a home for a family that you belong to. And you have a seat at the table. You know, so you ever, ever, you ever, like maybe you're still there um, where you have to sit at the kids' table for Thanksgiving. You know, you sit at the kids' table. I just want you to know there's no kids' table in the family of God, Right? You're like, yeah, i got to wait for Aunt Margaret to pass before I get to sit at the big kids' table, right? You know what I mean? Like, and You know what? Sometimes it feels like that in a church. got to wait for Aunt Margaret to pass before I can actually. There's no kids' table in the family of God. We all have a seat at the table, which means that there's always room for each and every single one of us that God fits us together and he's building a house, not out of brick, not out of mortar, not out of stone, but out of you and me as he builds his church. Third one is this, that church is not where you, a building where you gather. It's the people who gather in Christ's name. Church is not a building where you gather. It is the people who gather in Christ's name. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I love how it's written. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so it says here that Jesus is building his church, not out of wood, not out of stone, but out of people, out of you and me. Here's this reality. This building is no more a church than Home Depot is a church. You know that? Like if, if we decided like, hey, you know what? We're not going to meet here today. We're going to go over to Home Depot, aisles 12 through 15, and we're going to just gather at 8 and 10, 15, and we're going to, I'm telling you, we would have church and Home Depot would now become our church. Why? Because it is not about the building, it's about the people. And there is something that happens when God's people gather in God's name that he shows up in a way that he doesn't show up in other places. The Bible says that where two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst. I just want you, it doesn't matter if you gather here or at Home Depot or out on the street. When we gather, Jesus shows up and church happens. Church happens. Church happens. When God's people gather in God's name, church happens. And, uh, I mean, see, it, it bleeds over into this. Like, so you can, you can listen to better sermons online, and you probably do. You know, you're like, yeah, I was just listening on the way in. You, know, was a, you, you can listen to better, better, more quality worship music online on Spotify. But there is nothing like when God's people come together in God's name to worship. So you're like, well, I kind of just had church. I was listening to Stephen Furtick and some Hillsong in the Way, and that's my church. I'm just telling you, you have such a lower form of church than what God intended. There's something that happens, whether it's here or whether it's in Home Depot, when God's people gather together, that he shows up in a way that, he, that is unlike other ways. That is the church and jesus is passionate about this and and uh it, you know we, we talked last week about how if jesus could have swore which i don't know if he could have but like if he could have swore he would have sworn at the, at the pharisees because he would call them all kinds of crazy names like you know snakes brood of vipers and he was so angry at them there's this another part in this in scripture and this is i'm going to bring this out because it it points to how how important god's house and the church is to jesus it's a freak out. It's a Jesus freak out. It's one of the only times that we see Jesus freak out. So you've probably heard it before because everybody likes to hear this story about the time Jesus freaked out in the temple. Like, you guys remember this? You, you, you've heard this before. I'm just gonna read it for you. Um, and I want you to just kind of put yourself in, the, in this place. In Matthew 21, verse 12, he says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables, this is awesome, of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and, and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Angry. So I love this. I love this story because Jesus is like, uh, he's flipping tables. There's nothing better than like savage Jesus flipping tables. Like that's so cool. Like every, you know, because people are always like, oh, Jesus, the well-coiffed hair, and he's got the white robe and the sash, and he's just talks in kind of an effeminate way. And no, here's the thing. Jesus goes, and he just like, he's so angry. He just starts flipping tables. He's kicking things up, and the birds flying, money going everywhere, people just crawling on the ground, trying to capture it. I mean, this is awesome. Like, this, is, this is what I, I would love Jesus to do something time. I'd just love to be a part of this, right? Jesus just comes in and the religious leaders are so angry. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says that they started to, to try to figure out a way to kill him. And he says it. Why is he so angry? Verse 13, he says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it into a den of robbers why is he so angry why because the the temple court was supposed to be a place where anybody could come and to worship god but rather than being a doorway to encountering god it become a stumbling block to people because they were hiking up prices and exchange rates were out of this world so that you couldn't even buy a stinking dove you wanted to go and sacrifice it why because so it it was so high that the poor couldn't even come in and worship And so the religious leaders of this day, and they'd gathered not to worship God, they were worshiping themselves and making money. That was the point of this whole thing. This is why Jesus was so angry. And I don't know about you, but I've read this so many times. Like I've read it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a little bit things that they draw out different things. Um, And and I don't know why, but there's one thing that I never noticed. So Jesus is flipping tables, Um, he's yelling. In in, in the Gospel of John, it talks about him finding some rope... And he's literally braiding a whip as he's yelling. I mean, how menacing is that? That is awesome. He's just like, and this is your switch. You know what I mean? Like, and he's just literally, he's braiding a rope as he's telling and calling them names. And he's kicking things over. And he's kicking people out. And he's like, whoops, Indiana Jones in it. Like, it's awesome. Like, he's just, he's so angry. And in the midst of all this, the, 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 the religious leaders aren't just mad. They're sitting in the corner thinking, how can we kill him? How can we kill him? He needs, to, he needs to go. How can we kill him? And this is, this is what we find in the middle of all this. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Like, my recollection and my idea of this scene, this just sticks out in the middle of it. Of Like, what? How's Jesus? He's busy. He's flipping tables. Like, how is this happening in the middle of all that? Out of nowhere, smack dab in the middle of all this chaos. Like, how, and my question is like, how can some people in the same court, in the same area, some of them are wanting to figure out how they can kill this man and other people feel so safe with him that they approach him and get healed in the midst of it. How in the world does this happen? Jesus literally he stops everything, puts down his whip that he had just braided, and, and heals a lame person. He goes, and he's like flipping tables, and he stops mid-flip, right? I'm coming back to you, right? And then he goes over, and he, and he prays over a blind person. Okay, you feeling good? Anyway, and he flips the thing over. like, like this. Is, I mean, in the midst of all of this, Jesus stops in the middle of all of it, To heal somebody, because this is what I know. The Jesus that I know always has time and always makes room for those that are far from him and need hope, healing, and rescuing. No matter what he's doing, he's communicating something to us. And it's this. The church is not a club for churchy people. It is a hospital for the broken. The church is not a club for churchy people. It is a hospital for the broken, and this is what Jesus was flipping tables for. The needy should be welcomed and find a place where they can find the hope and the help that they need within the church. Because Jesus loves everyone that finds him, and he loves them too much to leave them where he finds them. We find that time and time and time again that it's not a club for churchy people, that it is a hospital for the broken. And one of our core values is this, that we will do anything short of sin to reach those who don't know Jesus. And I love the silence that follows that. Because there's this thing that rises up in the inside of us of saying, hmm, short of sin? What does that mean? Like, hmm, is that... Should we be doing that, Pastor Justin? Really? Like, and here's what I find. As I look through the life of Christ, time and time again, he did anything short of sin to reach those who didn't know him. And if Jesus is perfect theology, then shouldn't the church look more and more like him? So I don't apologize for it. I just say, I want to be like Jesus. So you show me a time where he just decided that he didn't care about people that were hurting and broken and, and just walked away, then, then, then okay, we can have a conversation. But I don't know too many people that stop mid-flip to heal a blind person. I mean, I'm busy having a freak out, right? He was always willing to sacrifice his followers' contentment and comfortableness for the sake of those who didn't know him and my heart is that that we would be a church with a heart like christ may this place never become a place where i'm happy things are going the way that i want them to go because i know my heart my heart wants i like to be content i like to be comfortable I don't like to be pushed out of my comfort zone. My heart just likes to hold on to things if they seem like they're working, right? Like, my heart fears change. And if I'm not changing, here's the thing. If I'm not changing, I don't want anyone else to change. I want everything to stay exactly the same. Why? Because, well, don't ruffle my face. I just want everything to be exactly the way that, that, that it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this way. Why? Because that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Just, 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 don't, just don't change anything. And what I know, even over the course of my own life, is this. We all start out in this whole Christian thing of accepting Jesus Christ and, and beginning this journey. We begin it in this risk-taking movement. And if we're not careful, if we're not on guard, if we're not vigilant, if we're not on the lookout, if we're falling asleep, if we're sleepwalking, I'm just telling you, you can end up starting in a risk-taking movement and end up kind of just being in charge and running a historical preservation society also known as the church. just don't change anything. In fact, the changes you did make are wrong and you need to put them back the way they were. Because we're trying to relive something that was. And if I'm not careful, then my preferences get mixed up with the essentials. This is why so many churches have split, right? Because we mix up the the, the preferences with essentials. Well, the color of carpet, darn it, I can't worship with you if you think we're going to, Red carpet, I'm out of here, right? Our preferences and our essentials get mixed up. And I start to get really passionate about things that Jesus isn't really passionate about. And the things that, are, that Jesus is passionate about, I sleepwalk towards. The things that he would drop, everything for, I could find myself sleepwalking in. So we are the church. It's not a place you go. It's not an event you attend. We are the family of God. We are the called out ones. Those that are supposed to be filled to the full and overflowing. This is the church that Christ died for. And that's a good thing because it's so much better than everybody convening at a, in the same place at the same time. Out of duty. It's something we live out of passion, out of our own hearts and love for God. So church, why don't you stand with me? I want to leave you with just a couple things just from Matthew 21. And uh, the question is this What what is an awake church full of? What what are the things that Jesus was passionate about that, that he was flipping tables over? What is worth flipping tables over? Let's just say that. That's a good question. What's worth flipping a table over? He says this in verse 13 It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer. I just want you to know it's worth flipping tables over that we would be a family of prayer. That we would be seeking after God. And the real, the real question for each and every single one of us is how dependent am I? How willing am I to be dependent on the Holy Spirit? How willing am I to be led by the Holy Spirit? To, 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 to heed the words of the Holy Spirit? How willing are we to live in unity with the Holy Spirit? To be a house of prayer. The second thing he says is this, and we find it in verse 14. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. It's worth worth flipping tables over that people that are far from him can find God's power here. May we never be a place that just kind of comes and gathers together and we sing some nice songs and hear a decent message. And then we say, okay, thank you so much. That was church. I just believe that when God's people gather in God's name, he shows up, and anything can happen, and it probably will. That God's power needs to be in God's house. The hurting and broken need to find hope, healing. If you're here today, I want you to know, this is the place to find it. And the third thing is this. Let us be a family of praise. Verse 15, it says, when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting, the ch- I love this, the children shouting in the temple courts. What were they shouting? Hosanna to the son of David. May this place always be a place of praise. May we always be a place of praise that we don't just go to church. We follow Jesus. We do what he tells us to do and we be the church. So let me pray. Lord, as we enter into this last song of worship today, I pray that this place would be a place of your power, would be a place of prayer and a place of praise. As we enter into praising you today, God, I pray that your power would show up in a way that maybe it's never shown up before. God, that those that are hurting, lost, broken, those that are and they may maybe stuck in the place that they're in, feeling like, man, they, these, these shackles are too big, that I, I, I just, I, I can't find a way out of this, would find hope and healing to a Savior that would drop everything to minister to those people. And so God, I just pray you would call people to yourself today. And if you've got a prayer need in any area of your life, whether it's a, a financial need, you've got, you've got something going on in your body, you've got a pain, you've got a diagnosis, you've got things, you've got a wayward kid or whatever, I just want you to know, if we're not the family of God that can come together and to pray and to come and, and join forces and say, we're two or more gathered, we're speaking Jesus into your situation. We're praying God into your marriage. We're praying God into your kids, into your body. We're praying that God would reign supreme in every area of your life, then what are we doing? So Jesus, I pray that there would be freedom in this place today. As we lift up your name, as we celebrate what you've done, we look to what you will do. And so God, as, as people are wrestling with that even today, I just want to encourage you, make your way up. Just take 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 a little break out of, out of your day. I know you've got a lot of things going on today. Come alongside and just kind of come up here along the sides. We'll have some people here that would love to come and and to to pray God into your situation, whatever that looks like. You don't need to worry. You don't need to think, well, what are people going to think of me? Who cares? We want to see God, God's power released in our day as we are the church of the living Christ. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, we just give you place today in our hearts. We give you place afresh to have your way in us, we ask that you would cause us to be a people that follow hard after you. That we wouldn't just do church, but we would be the church. We would be the church Monday through Sunday, every day, God. If that's you, just lift your hands, and we're just going to pray a prayer. To the, the Lord says that the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our seal into the day of salvation. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you you seal it up, you seal up what goes on in our life. We pray this the sealing of the Holy Spirit today. And we rejoice that great days are ahead because of the increase of your kingdom, there is no end. And you've called me to be a part of that great adventure called the church. Amen, saints? Amen.